You ever get a text message or a message that kind of shocks you a little bit? I got one I'm going to read to you. This was on May the 4th from Chad. It says, hey, would you consider speaking in place of me when I am in Texas? I'm a little bit of a smart aleck. I said, speaking where? Pretty sure. You ever like answer a question and you think you know what someone means, but you're not quite sure, so you say something to kind of get a little bit more out. And he said, at church. I said, um, then next text, wow. And then yes. And was really shocked by that. But I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here with you today and to speak. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Ryan Garber. Hi, everybody. And hi. Thank you, by the way, for trying to get everything back here to work. My daughters. But um, if you don't really, you might know my name, but I used to be a youth pastor here in town for nine years. And um, before that, had went to school for the ministry for six, seven years, and uh, thought that would be the rest of my life. And uh, God had other plans, uh, but I never thought I'd be able to do this again. Eight and a half years later, uh, back in May, Chad sends me those texts, and here we are. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm very nervous. You could probably tell that. Uh, been nervous before in speaking. The first time I ever spoke in church, I was really nervous, uh, but got through that. Uh, after Rebecca and I got married, we moved off to Florida, and then about a year later, was able to go back home and speak in uh, the church that I was from in California. Very nervous for that. Um, when we came and visited here in Buford, I spoke at a church that was considering hiring me. So there you're speaking for a job. That was very nervous. Uh, but I have to say it's probably the most nervous I've ever been in speaking. But uh, hopefully I'll be able to get through it. I want to speak today on the subject of motivation. Um, if you're listening guide there, you can follow along. We'll look at two verses to start with in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, for Christ, and we're in verses 14 and 15, by the way. It says, for Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. I want you to look at that First phrase says, for Christ's love compels us. Now, other translations might say this a little differently. It might say, for the love of Christ. I kind of like that phrasing uh, for what we're going to talk about here. Uh, compels us. That word literally means to drive us, to motivate us, to compel us, to push us. And what I want to talk about today, the subject of motivation, and the title of the message is, What is Your Motivation? Now, our small group, uh, we have a lot of little inside jokes, 
And one of those is this phrase that Ernie often mentions, that in a very odd um, dialect, I don't even know, what is that? What's your motive? There you go. So I was thinking about just having him come up and do this, uh, press a button and have him say that for those certain times. But what is your motivation? I don't know if you're like me. I can sometimes be very introspective and uh, analytical and think through things. And I often try to challenge myself and think, what, whatever I'm doing, what is my motivation? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Hopefully, um, we do that periodically and challenge ourselves to do not only what we know we ought to do, but to do it for the right reasons. Because we all know that we can do maybe the right thing, but maybe do it not for the right reasons, Uh, not have the right motivation behind what we're doing. And hopefully, uh, today, we're going to look at four different levels of motivation, and I like to think of them as kind of like steps, starting at a lower level, going to a higher level. And so the first one, what is your motivation? Number one is fear. Fear, and I looked up all these, and do we have PowerPoint? No? Okay. Just give a holler if we're good. Thank you. I don't think we're ready yet, so, but we'll see. I'll grab this just in case. Feel like I'm watching TV. Oh, hey, what is that? Thank you. All right. I've never used one of these before. It's like a new toy. Okay, the number one is fear. And for each one of these, I have a definition. And the definition of fear, a distressing emotion caused by impending danger, evil, or pain, whether the threat is real or imagined. I'm going to move this now. All right. Freedom. So the first level of motivation is fear. And we're going to talk about some of the good things and some of the bad things of each one of these levels. And oftentimes, this is the very lowest level of motivation. We do certain things out of fear. Now, for the sake of today, we're mainly talking about uh, someone who knows Jesus Christ, and they seek to live their life in a way, hopefully, that's pleasing to him, that honors him, that that reflects him, and uh, reflects God, and shows uh, God to the world and to other people, uh, whether they be lost people or Christians. And we often operate out of fear. We'll look at a couple verses in Mark chapter 4. You can follow along. Uh, Story, Jesus on a boat. And it says in Mark 4, beginning in verse 38, but he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? They were in this major uh, storm on the Sea of Galilee. It says, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Jesus wakes up, and he says, Why are you afraid? 
they've been through other things with him before. And unless we get a little too hard on them, I believe I would have been the same way. So I'm not like getting on their case too much here. And it says, even after the storm was calmed, it said they were terrified. Kind of an odd statement there. So, let's go back. Okay. So, the disciples were fearful. They were in this storm, and they thought they were going to die. So, they wake Jesus up. So, wake up, wake up, wake up. We're going to die. He stands up, calmly, or maybe not so calmly, rebukes the sea, and says that there's a great calm. So they were fearful. And I think this is kind of the thing that if we don't watch out for, we kind of revert to. It's the easiest thing, I think, for us to be motivated by. We want to do something, want to do the right thing. And so we're kind of afraid that if we don't, of the consequences, going back to the definition of fear of uh, the consequences, whether they be real or imagine, we're afraid that if we don't do what's right, that maybe God's right behind us with a baseball bat or uh, with a lightning bolt just ready to get us. And um, I've often thought that way, kind of thought of God as this lightning bolt, baseball bat kind of God. And so I better do what's right or else. If you really think about that, is that going to be effective? Probably not. We'll talk a little more why that won't be effective a little later. Second motivation, level. A little higher than fear, but still not quite, and that's duty. Number two is duty. And we'll look at a verse, or definition first of all. It says something that one is expected or required to do that should be by moral or legal obligation. It's something that's required something that's expected. I'm going to do it just because I have to do it. Just trudge through it. And there can be some good in that. But we'll look at a little later. Maybe that's not quite the route we want to go. Luke 17, 7 through 10. Which of you having a servant, Jesus teaching a parable, tending sheep or plowing will say to him, When he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you can eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are good for nothing servants. We've only done our duty. Jesus teaches this parable about someone and the people that work for him go out and work in his fields and they come in and then they have to serve this man. Uh, And he doesn't thank them and then the servants say, you know, all we've really done is that which is our duty. Second level of motivation, duty. So these people were only doing what they were doing because they had to. You ever been there? For those of us as parents, ever had a child wake up at 3 in the morning? Or 4 in the morning, or 2 in the morning, or whatever. And it's like, oh, got to get up. The neighbors won't come and do it. I'll come and I'll just do that which is my duty. Or you wake up from work, or wake up for work. Oh, 
so tired. I'm still sore from yesterday. But I'm going to get up and I'm going to trudge through it because it's my duty. It's what I have to do. That work won't take care of itself by itself. The neighbors aren't going to come and feed my family. Got to get up and just put one foot in front of the other and do my duty. And there are certain things in everybody's life and all of our lives, whether uh, it comes to at home or work or whatever else it might be, where we just have to do what we have to do. And that could be good, but that could also be bad. Moving on. Third level of motivation. A little higher than fear. A little higher than duty. But still really not the highest, and that is reward. Definition. Something given in return for services performed. So you can set out to live a life where you say, you know what? Got this Jesus thing down. I've received him as my Savior. Sins are forgiven. And you want to live for him. And you go, you know, I could do it out of fear. But that's no way to live. I could do it out of duty. Just going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Yes, it is. Or I could say, you know what? I'm going to do it out of reward. Is that bad? Well, there are some earthly rewards for being faithful to God. So, God says that if we're faithful, and we don't have time to go into all the different blessings and things that that might entail, but the Bible is very clear that when we live for God, that there are certain earthly rewards. Now, it's not necessarily, you know, being healthy, being wealthy. I think a lot of people think that way, and they're not really thinking correctly. But there are some earthly rewards for being faithful. Don't get me wrong. Um, But there are also some future heavenly rewards for being faithful to God. No verses really for this because there are just way, way, way too many. But God promises that someday in the future, when we're with him in heaven, that he will bless and reward certain levels of faithfulness uh, that we had to him after we came to know him as our Savior. So with these rewards, I don't want you to kind of get the idea like this is a bad thing because these are things that come from God. And the Bible says that every good gift, every perfect gift that comes, comes from God. So this is not a bad thing. But it's still not the pinnacle. It's not the peak. It's not the top level of the motivation things that I wanted to look at today. And that number one is love. Probably could have guessed that. So, you think of that crying child at two in the morning. You think, oh, if I don't get up, that child's going to grow up and hate me someday. And I fear that. I don't want that. 
then you think, you know, they'll just, they'll, they'll go back to bed. They'll shut up. Then the crying starts again. Oh, I guess I got to get up and take care of that. It's my duty. No one else will do it. My wife, she's sound asleep. She won't do it. She can't do it, whatever. So I guess I'll do it. It's my duty. They're my children after all. Oh, no, no, no. This has happened before. They go back to bed. So you go back to bed. and Oh, no, no, no. They're they're not being quiet. What's wrong with them? You know what? Someday, someday, I'm going to be a little older and, well, you know, I'm, I need to go change their diaper, but someday they might have to change my diapers. <laughs> and they say you can depend on the pens, but I'd rather depend on my children. So you know what? I'm, 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 there's a reward in the future. If I change their diaper, I'll change my diapers. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just too beat. I'm too tired. This will pass. So you try to roll back over and go back to bed, and it still doesn't work. <laughs> It's just not, they're not with it. You know what? I love my child. I'll get up and I'll do it. Not because of fear of the consequences, not because of duty, I have to do it, not of a reward. Look what's in it for me. I'm going to do it because I love them. Now we're talking mainly in the context of this relationship, us and God. So yes, you can set out to live for God, be faithful to Him out of fear. The baseball bat God, the lightning bolt God. And again, some might hear that and say, well, you know, are you saying that there are no consequences? I'm not saying that. It's for a different message. Uh, Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to go a little higher level than fear, and I'm going to live for Him out of duty. I'm just going to do it because I should do it. But then that might get old quick. Go, you know, no, no, no. Let's, let's go higher. Let's, let's a more noble thing out of reward. If I'm faithful to God, he's going to be faithful to me. There'll be certain blessings. And then in the future, in heaven, blessings. Or you can step your game up and go to this level the level of love. Now, you know, we've come up with definitions. How do you define love? Well, there's many different definitions, and really they're all don't really work, but for the sake of, I mean, they don't really work, but, you know, hard to define because it's so big and so awesome. But here for the sake of today, we'll say it's a strong affection for another arising out of kinships or personal ties. It comes from a personal relationship with God through Jesus, and so I have a strong affection for him. Let's go back to the original verse. It says, for Christ's love compels us, motivates us, pushes us, moves us, motivates us. And again, other translations say, for the love of Christ. I really like that phrasing. Because you look at it, just just look there and, and substitute love of Christ before compels. And you say, the love of Christ motivates. Is that the love of Christ? Is that his love for me? Or is that my love for him? The love of Christ motivates us. Is it him loving me 
Or is it me loving him that serves as the motivation? I guess you could probably answer the question with a yes. It's both. It doesn't have to be either this or that. It can be both. They kind of play off of one another. Yes, uh, we love him because he first loved us. So when a person has a relationship with God, it's because God took the initiative to establish the relationship. When did he do that? Well, he did that about 2,000 years ago when Jesus came, lived a sinless, perfect life. Uh, He was God in the flesh, the Son of God, did no wrong ever, thought no wrong. And then he went to the cross and he died upon the cross for our sins, my sin, your sin, future sins, past sins, present sins, all of them. God took the initiative for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so in a relationship with God, God is always the initiator and we are the one who responds to him, hopefully with a positive yes and not a negative no. And so he initiates this love relationship. The love of Christ compels us, motivates us, pushes us. It's his love for us, and then it's our love going back to him. I hope that makes sense. So, in each and every level, there are some pros and cons. What are the pros and cons of each level of motivation? You ever have a decision to make, and you go, I don't know what to do, and so, you know what, I'm going to sit down, I'm a piece of paper, and I'm going to make two columns, and... I'm going to write the pros to this and the cons to this. So we're going to list these things out, and then we're going to make a decision based on the good, the pros, and the cons, the bad. And so each and every level, well, almost each and every level, have some pros, and they also have some cons. And this is not an exhaustive list that we're going to look at here, the pros and cons of each, but there are a couple things. Let's look at them. Fears, pros. What are some good things about fear? And say, well, is there any? Well, yes, there are. There's a light socket at home. List the pros and cons about going and sticking your finger in the light socket. Say, well, test some, some pros. You could probably be very creative, some of you. Um, there's some pros. Let's see if it works. Because, you know, I won't ever want to know if it works or not. And uh, it might, you know, maybe you're having a bad hair day and maybe you think it might help, you know, with that, you know. Uh, Chad, if you're listening, don't try that, okay? Because it won't give you a good hair day. So, you say, stick the finger in the light socket, but you can probably list a lot more cons than pros based on sticking your finger in the light socket. So, you say, well, the cons are probably a better thing to look at for this whole light socket thing. Don't do it. You have some fear of what might happen. That's a good fear. But if you live your life trying to please God because of fear, that's not good. But what are some pros? Well, it's a start. Everyone's got to start somewhere, right? True. But other pros... the only one I got. Maybe you can 
Okay, we're talking in the realm and the context of this relationship. You and God, myself and God. I can live for him based out of fear. Well, if I don't, he's going to get me. Baseball bat, God. Thunderbolt and lightning, God. So it's a start, but mm, there are some bad things with that. What are some bad things? What are some cons? Well, there's an absence of love. Remember, that's the highest level. If all you do is done out of the motivation of fear, there's really no love involved. You say, well, how do you know that? 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love. They're like opposites. The opposite of love is not hate, it's fear. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection, the highest level, in love. So if all that we do in this realm in a relationship with God is done out of fear, it's not being done out of love. I don't know about you, I kind of think the whole love thing is probably a little bit better. Better for us, better for other people, better for God. So, that is definitely something that, again, going back, there is an absence of love. You can take this in the realm of any human relationship. Let's say in your marriage. Well, you know, I don't love my wife. She might poison my coffee. So I'm, I'm fearful, so I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to let that serve as my motivation. Probably not going to work too well. Oh, no. Another con. What happens when punishment doesn't come? What happens when punishment doesn't come? God's right behind me. He's got the baseball bat. He says, don't cross this line. Okay, God, I got you. I'm not crossing the line. I could, I could fall. Amy texted me and told me don't fall on my face. So this is where I'd fall. I haven't, I haven't crossed the line. And then eventually I'm like, Okay, now I'm across the line. Wait a minute. No thunderbolt. No lightning. No knot on the back of my head. No baseball bat. Maybe God doesn't mean what he says at certain times, you know? No punishment comes. What happens when punishment doesn't come? Because God is very gracious. Thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives grace. He gives mercy. And so punishment doesn't come when, when, and I'm, again, let's think in terms of I'm motivated out of fear, but punishment doesn't come. Hmm. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, because the sentence against a criminal act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people is filled with the desire to commit crime. And so God knows our heart. And it says here that when punishment or consequences don't come immediately, 
oftentimes we think, oh, it's okay. I'm good. I'll just keep on going in this way. And so fear is not going to be effective because God is not the thunderbolt and lightning God that we often think. He's not the baseball bat God. He loves us and he's gracious and he's merciful. Again, not, not an excuse because God's patient sometimes ends. But, so, we could be motivated by fear, but there's an absence of love. What happens when punishment doesn't come? You can answer that question. You say to your child, if you do that, you're going to get in trouble. Okay. So, you say maybe it's the line. No, no, no. And you see your child, no, don't step over that line. Don't touch that hot stove, Don't whatever it might be. And then maybe they step over the line. And you look and nothing happens. Oh, well, I guess it's okay. Next level, duty. What are some pros about duty? And again, this is not exhaustive. You could probably come up with many other better pros and cons than I ever could, but uh, it's higher than fear. It's better than that. I've made some progress. I've taken a step. Is it a good step? Yes. You're no longer operating out of this sense of fear. What will God do to me if I don't? Or what will God do to me if I do? You've taken a step. It's a good thing. A sense of community. You say, what in the world does that mean? A sense of community. You get together with other people who are doing what they ought to do for God. Let's say, use uh, community service as an example. Uh, we have done many different community service things here at the link. Uh, I think of our small group. We've done certain things, and uh, we've experienced life together over the last couple of years, uh, love my small group, and I sort of think of all the things we've done as a small group. My small group helped me move, uh, and maybe they thought of that. That was their duty. I thank them for it, uh, but as we got together doing this thing, it fosters a sense of community. We've visited folks in hospital rooms, uh, Many different things that we've done. And, and as we do these things together, it provides this sense of community. I think that's pretty awesome. And sometimes just doing it because it's just the right thing to do. So let's not you know, get all down on this whole idea of duty that it's all bad uh, because there are some good things about it. Uh, just over here at Paris Island, he's... Uh, Marines are doing things because it's their duty, and they're doing it together. And it builds this camaraderie, this esprit de corps, uh, and they're fostering community. So that's a good thing, but it's not all good. If all we ever do is because we have to do it, if that's our only motivation, it's not always going to be good because it becomes drudgery. Ever remember the commercial about 20 years ago, showing my age, 
I think it was a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Guy wakes up in the morning, gotta make the donuts. You remember that? So I say that when I get up for work sometimes. Gotta go make the donuts. Don't make donuts, but it works. Gotta go do what I have to do. But you live that way for a while, it becomes drudgery. It becomes dull. You ever do something that's dull, and eventually you like, you know what? This is stupid. Why am I doing this? Is it, are you going to quit or are you going to continue on? More than likely. You're going to quit. Because it's dull. It's drudgery. If all you ever do in this relationship is because you feel like it's your duty, it's drudgery. It's dull. And number two, it's not likely to last. Not likely to last. Any relationship. Not likely to last if all you ever do, if all, if, and myself too, if all we're ever motivated by is duty, we're going to quit. It's just human nature. Next level, reward. There are pros and cons for that. Rewards, pros. It builds upon itself. What do you mean there? It's like you get a pat on the back or something, or you get a reward at work or in school. You get that certificate with straight age. You're like, yeah, look at that. Or the honor roll. Does it make you want to in the future? You know what? I I got straight A's. I'm shooting for F's next time. (laughs) No. You get rewarded and it builds upon itself to continue doing that. I got that pat on the back. Someone said, good job. My, my mom, my dad said, I appreciate you doing that. Well, of any one of us, it kind of to sit up a little higher, take pride in what we're doing. So you know what? I'm going to continue doing that. I got that positive reinforcement, that reward. It builds upon itself. So we live for God. We're faithful to him. He blesses us. Like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to continue doing this. Continue serving him. I did something and I received a blessing for it. And that's not maybe why I did it, but thank God for that. It builds upon itself. When you're blessed, you can bless others. God blesses you, blesses me. He gifts us. He gives us certain uh, resources materially, not so that we can hoard it and keep it all to ourselves, but he blesses us so that we can be a blessing to other people. God blessed me with certain gifts, spiritual gifts, this being one of them, not for myself, but hopefully for the benefit of other people. And God gifts us, blesses us, and gives us certain things so that then we, it rewards us so that we can then be a blessing to each and every one of other people. But if we're just operating solely out of this idea of reward, what can I get? Rewards can't always be seen. So in this life, we are motivated by this sense of reward. And God gives us certain rewards, but you can't always see it. 
can't see it, for some people, you know, seeing is believing. And if I don't see it, maybe God's not blessing me and rewarding me. He is, but I'm just not seeing it. So again, you kind of see where this can, you know, you could quit because you don't see those rewards. Sometimes they're in the future. We're talking heavenly rewards again. So, set out on this path, this journey to live for God. And God says he's going to bless me and reward me in this lifetime. And maybe I've seen some of those. Maybe I haven't. Doesn't mean they're not there. But then he says, in the future, but you know, I'm only 16. I'm only 12. I'm only in my 20s. That's a long, could be a long time until I get to heaven. Maybe it is. You never know. And so you eventually, oh, a long time to wait, and you lose patience, and again, no longer motivated, and you go, it's just not worth it, because I'm impatient, and I just can't wait any longer. So again, this is not necessarily something good about being motivated by reward. And then, obviously, selfishness. If all I ever do is what's in it for me, shows that my true motivation is not God, it's not other people, it's myself. So reward, though it does build upon itself and we are blessed and we can bless others, still not the highest level. Talked earlier, love is. What are some pros of love? Well, it's what God is motivated by. So if God is motivated by love, if he does what he does because he loves me and he loves you. When we are motivated by love, then we're being like God. We're being godly. We're being Christ-like. For God so loved the world that he gave. His motivation is love. For the love of Christ compels us. His love for me compels me, drives me, motivates me, should, hopefully, to live for him. And so this love is given back. It's reflected. It's, um, it's like a cycle. God loves me. I love him. He loves me. I love him. So love is what God is motivated by. Again, going back to the verse. For Christ's love compels us. It's unselfish. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses that many of us are familiar with, talks about love, and right in the middle of it all, you know, love is kind, it's patient, uh, and it says that it doesn't seek for its own, doesn't seek its own, um, it doesn't seek to have its own way. Really, if you, in my mind at least, when you boil all those characteristics down, that kind of is right at the heart, and I think it's like right in the middle of that whole list of what love is, is that it doesn't seek its own way. So really, right at the heart of love is, is unselfishness. Putting God in front of myself, putting others in front of myself, it's what our love ought to be motivated by. Those are some pros of love, and you could go on and on and on. But for the sake of time, we'll just leave it. Well, no, we won't leave it there. 
uh, it lasts. At the end of the chapter, it says, um, faith, hope, and love, these three things remain. So in any relationship, if it's based on love, then that relationship is going to last. This relationship, you think of a, of a marriage relationship, if it's based on love, not based on fear, well, she's going to poison my coffee if I don't, or if I do, um, so I guess, you know, I shouldn't, or I should, uh, or duty, well, you know, I, I guess I have to, or reward, well, hey, I, I, this could be good for me. Well, all those things, those don't last, but love does. I'm going to love this person because I love them. It's going to be what motivates me in this relationship. It's not, hopefully, based out of fear or duty or reward, but it's based out of love, and it'll last. Say, so those are the pros. What are the cons? What are the negative things about love? Really. There are no cons. There's no negative side. There's no downside to love. There's nothing bad you can say about it. So, as you stop to think today, maybe you have stepped over that line of faith. You've said yes to Jesus. You realize that As we often say here, ABC, you admit that you've done things that are wrong. You've admitted that you've sinned, that you've broken God's law. You haven't been everything that God has wanted you to be, and that's all of us. Hopefully, we've reached that step, and then you believe. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and that's what you're putting your hope, your faith, your trust in him, and you commit your life to him. Okay, now, what's the motivation? Where are you, Ernie? What's your motivation? Thank you. Hopefully, you've, re- you've gone past that whole stage of fear of God's going to get me if I don't live for him. And hopefully, you've stepped beyond the next stage of duty. Well, I guess I'm just going to live for him because it's just the right thing to do. And yes, it is the right thing to do, but hopefully you've gone past that. These are all kind of steps of maturity. And then you go, well, you know, God's going to bless me for this. And that's a good thing because, you know, that's what his word says. And, but hopefully we, got, we go even beyond that step and we go to this one. I'm going to live this life because God loved me, loves me, and I want to love him. We love him because he first loved us. Let's pray. Band's going to come up. I mentioned stepping over the line of faith. Before I came to Lincoln, I'd never heard it phrased that way, but I like it. Have you ever come to a point in your life when you've realized, you know what? I don't have a relationship with God. It's all through what Jesus did for you. But you have to do a couple things. You have to admit, ABCs as we said, 
admit that you've messed up, that you're a sinner, it, you know, Jesus is the Savior, but if you don't need saving from anything, you can't save a person. So you realize, you know what, I've messed up, I've, I've sinned, I've done wrong, haven't been always what I should be for him. And then you say, you know what? I believe that he died for me. When he died on the cross, it just wasn't uh, happenstance. There was a reason. And that was because he loved us. And he demonstrated his love for us by going to the cross and dying for our sins. And then you say, you know what? I have to make this decision. So I want to confess that. I want to say that, that I want him to save me. And it's really that simple. That happened for me over 25 years ago. And the thing that floored me the most was, man shared the gospel with me and I said, it's that easy? I don't have to do like all these things, 12-step program or whatever. I didn't say that, but I was floored with how easy it really was. And I said, you know what? Only a fool would say no to that. Yes, I want, I want that. I want Jesus as my Savior. So I did that ABC. Admit, believe, and confess. And you know what? You can do that too. It's really simple. All you have to do is just in your heart, admit, believe, confess. If you've never done that, you know, today would be a great day to do that. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Oftentimes if we don't do it now, we... We'll never do it. Say, well, you know what? Everyone thinks I've already done that. I don't want to embarrass myself. You know what? You'll never regret making that decision. No one ever comes to Jesus and then a week later, a year later, 10 years later, go, you know what? That was the dumbest decision I ever made. They always say, that's the greatest decision I could ever make. That's what affects your eternity. So if you've never done that today, you've got to do that. There's a card right there. Uh, in the handle of your buckets. And if you would like to do that today or you're saying, you know what, I'm making that decision today, right now. Fill that card out, drop it in the offering bucket. That'll get to Chad and the advisory team. And uh, I'm sure they would like to pray for you and encourage you in that. But for those of us that know Jesus, what's your motivation? Hopefully it's reaching that pinnacle of love, loving God because he loved us.